This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with musician and ceremonialist Alan Sherman, a.k.a. Santiparo. And this conversation has been years in the making. Alan and I have some mutual acquaintances, and over the years we've crossed paths, but we've never met. So it was really great to sit down with him, have a conversation, and connect over so many different things. He feels like a real brother on the medicine path. And I appreciate him not only as a musician, but I think he's a really great teacher, which you'll hear in this interview. So in this conversation, we talk about his start in the Detroit music scene through his initiation in the peyote and ayahuasca medicine paths and his own growth and maturation personally, musically and spiritually, and lots, lots more. 
But before we get to that conversation, I want to let you know about some projects that I've been working on. I've released a short ebook called Wisdom of the Heart, which is a yogic guide to integrating ecstatic experiences, whether they come through plant medicine use, yoga, or any other way that those moments of insight and inspiration are triggered. I've also released a short film called The Shamanic Roots of Yoga, and it tells the story of the development of Hatha Yoga, starting with the use of the entheogenic plant medicine Soma, which led to the physical practices of Hatha Yoga being developed to allow us to access the ecstatic experience using only our body, breath, and mind. And both of those are available on medicinepathyoga.com. And before we get going, I just want to ask, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to support it. And you can do that by leaving a review on iTunes, uh, sharing it with your friends on social media, or making a financial contribution on medicinepathpodcast.com, where there's a PayPal link. So with that, please sit back and enjoy this far-reaching conversation I have with my spiritual brother, Santi Paro. So I wanted to begin by talking about your last album, True Prayer, which came out in 2015. And that album, it's one of my favorites because to me, it really captures the beauty and mystery that I felt in various shamanic ceremonies, particularly with ayahuasca. And it does it in a way that feels really authentic and sincere (laughs) without coming off as cheesy, like a lot of other quote unquote medicine music the way that uh, I perceive it anyway. Um, And I'm really interested in hearing how you came to record that album uh, and what was going on in your life previous to that. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, thank you. Um, So uh, with with True Prayer, um, so I had been, part of uh, a spiritual community in, in Brooklyn um, that I helped to uh, found. Um, uh, back in, I guess, starting in like 2010. Um, and some of the songs on True Prayer actually come from before that, from really my um, my first experiences with ceremony. Um, they were influenced by that. There's a song, um, The Universe Strand, which is like one of the first songs that I wrote uh, 
after experiencing ayahuasca and peyote in ceremony. Um, so um, that community was um, very active in the in participation in ceremony and in the study of and and participation in ancestral cultures and we did a lot of pilgrimages throughout the Americas and we had a uh, you know a spiritual teacher who was you know for lack of a better term like also a shaman and um, and we traveled around with him a lot um, throughout the Americas to learn from other indigenous people. Um, he himself is um, of uh, Caribbean ancestry. He's uh, Dominican. And, um, but he grew up in Puerto Rico and Mexico, um, learning, and then in the United States, learning uh, just different medicine ways. And also, in addition to that, uh, yoga and astrology and nutrition. And so he had a lot of things um, to teach the community. So it started out as just this like small group. Um, years before starting, uh, well, I, I joined around 2007. We were just doing these small study groups um, where we were studying um, you know, our natal charts with him. And so then in 2010, I moved to Brooklyn. And when I moved there, I, I, I was very clear in my intention that I did not want to just kind of have like a typical roommate situation, but I wanted to live with like-minded people. And I wanted to start this center where we could, um, host different elders that were passing through that we could kind of like create this center where we could have different events and sound baths and um, astrology lectures and all kinds of things, um, yoga and so on and so forth. And so it started with just three of us and then um, uh, uh, we that quickly blossomed into um, uh, what ended up being like, we ended up getting a loft space and then we got the loft upstairs and then we got the loft next door and then we got another loft. And so um, pretty soon there were like 20 people living within the, the community. Um, and then shortly after that, um, you know, a few, few years later, then we opened a vegetarian restaurant um, down the street and then purchased, um, I think, 26 acres, maybe it was 28 acres of land in upstate New York. Um, and so all of the music that came for the, um, from that record was informed by the those years of developing community and um, and also uh, developing a discipline with my own spiritual practice and a discipline within um, 
ceremonial ways that uh, were learned through direct experience from um, these these elders of these ancestral cultures that we had the uh, blessing to be able to sit with and learn from and um, experience uh, initiation within. So before True Prayer, I believe um, that you performed under your birth name, right? Um, well, I put out a couple of like EPs of bedroom recordings straight to the internet just to Bandcamp. Okay. Which is a, if, if listeners aren't aware, Bandcamp is like a, a platform for mostly independent artists to just kind of get their music onto the internet. Um, so I put out a couple of kind of bedroom recordings of EPs under the name Santiparo uh, before True Prayer. Um, oh, okay. I thought, yeah, I thought True it, Prayer was your first release using Santiparo. And basically where I wanted to go with that was asking if, um, if that signaled a kind of shift in your own life and spiritual practice using this other name. And I wanted to ask you about that name and where it came from. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> well, this is the first full length that I released under Santipado. Mm -hmm. Um, so that name was a name that I received on a, um, so in the Vedaka tradition, which is the, the Vedaka are the uh, also known as the Wichol, but that's kind of the anthropological, uh, you know, colonizer name, which actually means um, dirty man in cave, I believe. Hmm. But they're called the Vedaka, and so they're the original keepers of the peyote medicine. They live in, in um, you know, three states in Mexico. Uh, Jalisco, Zacatecas, and Nayarit. And um, so in 2010, um, I had my first pilgrimage with the Widarica. Um There's a documentary that's pretty popular now called Micholes, The Last Peyote Guardians. And it follows this family. Um, and that's the same family that I worked with and I was actually behind the scenes on that documentary. Um, but um, so during the course of the pilgrimage, there's many, many things that happen in the preparation. Um, this is a pilgrimage that goes from their community all the way to the desert of uh, Wiracuda, um, uh, <clears throat> where they go to hunt the blue deer which is the, the blue deer is the peyote. Um, and so there's like several rituals that happen beforehand, before you can even enter the desert, which is really becomes a whole other dimension of reality. And so then one of the things that happens over the course of that time is you receive a new name. Actually, everything receives a new name. Um, so like a car will be a dog and, so on and so forth. Um, and so the the first name that I received was Santipado. And I actually, a lot of times it's hard for you to hear what they're saying or be able to 
tell the word. That word was a little bit easier. And so I asked them what it meant. And they said that it means the lens that sees many things not usually seen. And so for a while, I had a big ego about it. And I thought, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, the lens is, wow, like, I'm special. I can, like, see into things. They know. They know. I can, I see some other dimensions. <laughs> yeah. I see spirits and so on. Then later, you know, I was able to uh, realize that it probably just meant gringo with big glasses. <laughs> so I just can laugh at myself about that. But, you know, at the time I needed that. I needed to, like, feel important, you know, or recognized or something. So, yeah, I th- there that. that's really beautiful that you can see that now. Um, <laughs> I think it's really funny, too, how you came to understand that that maybe they meant something different by that than you thought. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great, man. So, so then deciding to, uh, to use that name to release your music, was that part of something that was going on for you personally? It feels like maybe it, true prayer was kind of a coming out of sorts. Yeah. You know, so, so as you said, you know, so you, you, you had mentioned that the music wasn't, cheesy like other spiritual music or medicine music that you had heard and I grew up I came up in the Detroit music scene like the Detroit rock scene which is very gritty it's like very um kind of you know stuck up in terms of like um the way that it's very elitist in a certain way it was like White Stripes and, came out of that, in case people aren't yeah. familiar with that scene around the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, White Stripes was the big yeah. band that uh, came out of that scene. And yeah, they're very gritty, but there's something about Jack White in that persona uh, that was kind of snooty. Like he was uh, yeah. at, ar- at arm's length all the time. Mm-hmm. And But there's also a soul and a sincerity that's very real when anyone grows up in in the Detroit area, and I grew up in the Detroit area, and the musicianship that exists there is like a, the highest caliber, and um, and everybody is like, when I say that it's stuck up, what I mean is like everyone's kind of holding each other to account and making sure that like, you know, if you're going to perform, it's it better be good because you're performing in front of, um, you know, other very, very talented songwriters. And so, um, so I came from that. And um, the other thing about Detroit and, and as you said, Jack White experienced this in the beginning as well. Um, when he first, um, when White Stripes finally broke through because they existed for a very long time, but when they finally broke into the mainstream, um, he had to leave Detroit. He had to move to, to Nashville um, because uh, Detroiters um, tend to not be, and I'm generalizing, but they tend not to be supportive of, of uh, success of, some, of someone else. There's a lot of jealousy and a lot of envy in that music scene. And um, they also don't like change. And so when I first found the, uh, the medicine path, um, 
I had an experience where, um, you know, I had, I had experienced psychedelics many, many years before and many, many times before. But when I first had my first ceremony, um, I had finally broken through the psychedelic layer and went into the spirit world. And I kind of became this evangelist for a period of time because I didn't know any better um, about ayahuasca and peyote. And um, my third eye was blown open at that time. And, and for three months, I saw this like wolf spirit uh, that traveled around with me everywhere. And so all my friends thought that I went crazy. However, I stayed connected to the people that were in the ceremony and I started to learn some of these practices and some of these disciplines that they recommended and um, for integration and um, kind of never looked back and kind of just went into my apprenticeship. And um, so releasing music under Sunky Parlor was definitely... Uh, yeah, it was definitely just like leaving behind that, that it was a marker for uh, a sh that shift into, you know, my, my spiritual music. So, mm. um, and like leaving behind all the like kind of negative music that I had put out uh, previously. Yeah. And you know, in that intro, when I was talking about true prayer not being cheesy, I was trying to find like a more elegant way of saying that, but I couldn't really come up with anything. <laughs> but just generally, I find a lot of medicine music and spiritual music, uh, those things are in air quotes, by the way, because I'm not even sure exactly what defines that. But um, it's like, if you know it, you, you know it when you hear it. And a lot of that music does sound like overly uh, sincere and I don't know, very light and the musicality I'm not really interested in. And so I'm wondering if you coming up in that Detroit scene helped to uh, refine your taste that then informed recording your own brand of spiritual music. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I, I definitely, um, I have very particular taste in, in, in music and, um, you know, I'm a Virgo rising and so I'm just very, very picky and I'm also a Libra uh, sun and um, <clears throat> so I have um, just very particular tastes with, with sound and visuals and and so on and so forth and um yeah and and being i think molded in that detroit community um and kind of having these like older uh musical mentors there that kind of like were just filling up my ipad my ipod back mm -hmm. in the day with just like all kinds of amazing stuff um you know, really obscure stuff to me at the time. Um, it just, it, it uh, definitely, my foundation is in interesting um, independent music, not all independent, but just, um, you know, in, in rock and roll, 
really. So um, I think whereas a lot of times you hear um, a lot of other like spiritual music that's really popular is um, perhaps informed by other popular music or coming out of, of like the Western kirtan scene or coming out of, um, in, in particular with like medicine music, a lot of people's idea of what medicine music is is based on this um, website that was really popular called ayahuascawasi.com, which is now Sacred Valley Tribe, which is, you know, Diego Palma, which, you know, one of his gifts to the world was just to record all this music from ceremony and all this, all of um, his recordings of guitar songs and, and he's Peruvian and this particular style of ayahuasca music. Um, and that became very, very popular. Um, but um, I'm of the opinion that, um, so like with, with the plants, um, when someone, you know, starts going deeper into the world of like medicine music, um, you know, the plants make a merger with who the person already is. So where they're coming from and so on and so forth. So, so in my case, you know, the, as I went through initiation with, with, um, different medicines on, on the path of, uh, the medicine, um, you know, they merged with, with who I already was, what I was already carrying. And um, so I set out to intentionally um, create, you know, medicine music um, that is not like what was already uh, available um, with the idea that, you know, um, just to kind of like break down the walls um, of this idea that, uh, this is this is what medicine music is, right over here. Um, whereas, you know, my philosophy is no, it's it can be anything. You know, um, those creative channels open up in a person um, with the help of these plants and with the help of spiritual practice. And if you're authentic and you're coming through an from an authentic place and each one of us has our own connection to source. Um, what's coming through our channel is unique. And so, um, but it's, it's also related to, you know, the, the uh, influences that we've accumulated over our lifetime. So, mm -hmm. so that's where that is coming from. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, it's one of the few like medicine music albums that I could connect with. Uh, and very much like you growing up as a musician, I had musical mentors who would turn me on to new stuff that you didn't hear on the radio, you know, whether that was uh, my neighbor bringing over Black Sabbath albums or my uncle turning me on to Frank Zappa. Um, it was really important for me to have those older musical mentors to yeah, turned me on to stuff that <clears throat> I wouldn't have otherwise. So uh, for myself, when I started to uh, follow my own medicine path, encountering this music that just didn't grab me, and it also didn't evoke the kind of 
feeling that I would have after a ceremony or in a ceremony. And True Prayer was one of the few that actually did that. And because it could do that, I feel like it helped me integrate those experiences because uh, listening to the album would remind me of lessons I'd learned in ceremony or just those feelings of wonder and mystery that I felt. And I'm wondering if that was part of your intention in creating that album was to not only integrate your own experiences possibly, but also to offer something to others that would help them integrate their own experiences. Yeah, for sure. I wanted it to be a bridge. Um, I, I, I knew that not everybody that would be going to ceremony would be people that would resonate with the kind of um, music that had been out there before. Um, and so I felt like there was going to be a lot more people like me. And um, so I wanted that, that music to be a bridge. Um, yeah. For, for the integration, but also, um, you know, so if I can share like how I first um, started writing music like this, um, I think that'll help inform it. Um, there was a ceremony that I, that I had and uh, that I was participating in and it was in the beginning. And um, <clears throat> I, there was an altar in the center of the room. This was a ceremony that was like, um, wasn't totally in the dark. It was, um, there was an altar in the center of the room and there were some candles in the altar. Um, and there was a portion of the ceremony where I was up at the altar and I was um, praying at the altar, um, which was something new to me at the time. Um, but I was guided to do that. And as I did that, these two angels appeared before me. And although I was raised um, Catholic, I was raised very loosely Catholic. Like my my family didn't go to church except for on Christmas and occasionally, you know, Easter Sunday. Um, and you know, I just I didn't have a lot of. Uh, you know, direct experience with um, the Bible or, uh, you know, Sunday school or anything like that. Um, but these two angels appeared before me, and um, I remember saying, oh, wow, there's, <laughs> there's these very real angels. They were very present in the room, and their force was felt very strongly, and it kind of forced me into, like, child's pose bowing and um not that they had forced me but just the force of it and um i was thinking there had been all these people in the past throughout history um who had experienced having visions of angels i better pay attention <laughs> this could be something very significant <laughs> and i asked them what their names were and they said michael and gabriel and of course, they were the big, the big guns showed up. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know who Michael and Gabriel were. At uh, the time. Mm -hmm. I had to look. I had to look them up later on the internet. 
Hmm. Um, but that's what they said. And they, at that time, they told me, um, they were basically making an offer uh, with me. And they said, you know, we can, we can, we will, we're offering the place two guardians in your mind stream. Um, and if you agree to this, um, everything that comes through your stream of consciousness will be for the benefit of healing and consciousness. And you'll receive a lot of inspiration and a lot of guidance. And I thought about it for a second and I again thought, wow, okay, here are these angels making this offering to me. I better, um, I better maybe uh, accept this because this could be a profound shift in my life. And I was like, but I don't know if I'm ready to like, you know, write spiritual music and so on and so forth. And they kind of showed me, I had a vision of what that would look like. And uh, I surrendered to it and I agreed. And so then um, I was uh, knighted by Michael and uh, and just kind of like um, received this gaze from Gabriel. And from that point on, then I just started receiving these songs and many, many other songs. And um, that was how it happened for me. And that was my, that's my experience. So that's how I experienced it. I'm just curious if that was a Santo Daini ceremony. It was not. Okay. It wasn't actually. Because I had an experience of Michael in a Santo Daini ceremony. And uh, yeah, it's very much, um, that kind of energy is definitely present in the Santo Daimi. So it's interesting that you had that experience, not in a Daimi ceremony. Yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't until later where I, you know, went to Santo Daimi and met Christ and Mary and then was visited by Michael again. But um, yeah, Yeah. that was, that was uh, more of a, that was a shamanic ceremony. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really, beautiful experience. And I guess one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about true prayer as well is woven in this kind of um, psych folk songs, I can hear little bits of what sound to me like ikaros, like using um, repetitive syllables in a melodic way. And I'm wondering if that was part of the inspiration for that album as well, is um, the musical language of the Shipibo people in Peru. Um, yeah, on True Prayer, um, when, when I had, by the time that I had recorded and released True Prayer, I was definitely influenced by the Shipibo, um, but I had not had a direct experience with them yet mm. at that time. Um, and, um, <clears throat> however, I've heard many recordings and I think, um, maybe what's more present on that record is the influence of like Mestizo Icaros, um, because that's more, you hear like in the background and like total freedom, there's like the, you know something like that and then on the universe strand it's the 
Right. So that's a good point. That, that's more like, that is more uh, mestizo. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was starting to weave its way into your music. Now, before we started uh, recording this conversation, we did talk about Icaros, and I wonder if um, you want to talk a little bit about that and your experience of the Icaros and the idea of uh, music as medicine, as a carrier for the healing potential of the plants and mm-hmm. like what, what your introduction into that was and what your understanding of that is. Well, so the first time that I ever went to a ceremony, I mean, what kind of, I wasn't expected, uh, what I was not expecting was the power of um, the, the music and the chanting that came through um, the the elders um, that were leading the ceremonies. And um, so over the course of, you know, many years, I had um, experienced many different kinds of ceremonies with, um, you know, uh, peyote. So whether that was in, um, <clears throat> that was in the Widataka tradition or the Native American church ceremonies. Um, then, you know, traditional mushroom and salvia ceremonies with the Mazatecs. Um, and then in the ayahuasca ceremonies, I've been in all kinds of ceremonies from, you know, kind of neo-shamanic ceremonies where there's all kinds of music that is being performed even like kirtan style things and then um also you know with uh different traditions like the kofan and um mestizo uh and um in ecuador different tribes who have very different ways of chanting um and yeah, so various traditions and then the Santo Daimi, as you had mentioned, which have their form of hymns. But I was always drawn to the Shipibo Kanibo because of the flow of it, the complexity, the the language, um, and and also just many things I was curious about, like the the moving from the falsetto to the very deep. Um, and then sometimes the Icaro is being very slow and drawn out. Sometimes the, the chants are very, very fast. So it's really, really always drawn to that. And um, it was five years ago that I uh, first experienced um, Shipibo uh, chant um, in person. And when <clears throat> um, I experienced that, um, it was a whole other thing from every other kind of Icaro I had ever heard because all the other Icaros that I heard in different traditions were a little more like songs. They they were repetitive. They um, you know they 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 were circular. Like they almost had like a chorus that they'd come back to, and um, you could learn them more easily because it's like it's the same words every time. Mm-hmm. So, that uh, familiar yeah, yeah. kind of structure yeah right yeah and then in the shipibo it's like okay 
<laughs> this is like this has something to do with what's happening right now. Yeah. And so then I was curious about that. And I also noticed that when I received, when I sat in front of the Onaya that was chanting to me, I noticed, wow, they have certain kinds of like mudras, right? And certain kinds of um, hand movements mm -hmm. and, um, and certain phrases that I noticed did something very particular to my body or to my vision and so on and so forth. So I wanted to know, is there a technology here? What's going on? And so I wanted to study that. And so, um, so I dedicated my, my, my practice in the medicine at that time to learning that. So after I experienced that, then I just started going down to the Amazon for three months a year and um, studying with my teachers. And I was fortunate enough, as I have always been on the medicine path, to always be kind of magnetized to these, um, you know, I'm just going to use the word shaman, but these shamans that, um, <clears throat> that are also teachers. And so that would spend a portion of their ceremony or time in between ceremonies to um, have a dialogue with me and answer questions and guide me in, in this developing the practice, whatever it was that I was studying. So then when I came to study the Icaros in the Shipibo tradition, I learned many, many things that, yes, this is a spiritual technology. What is happening um, with the Icaros is relative um, to the, what is happening in the moment. That said, the Icaros in the Shipibo tradition, there is an element that is somewhat fixed. That's the, that's the melody. That's the, the melody, which is the geometry of the kuna, the design. Um, so that's like the song line that is followed. Um, but the words and the phrases that are coming out are relative to what is being performed in the moment, what is being seen, what is, what is being heard, what is, uh, what is being felt. And then, yes, it does work as a kind of a, uh, like a coding language to interface with the medicine and the plants to move very particular uh, things in the body or to move the medicine, you know, into the veins or to move the medicine into the stomach and to break up what's in there, to bring it up the esophagus so the purge happens. You know, um, if someone's like lying back down, there's phrases to like get them to sit up straight and, their spine to straighten and the there's a there's a technology there that can be learned and it's learned through both transmission from teacher to student just receiving the vibrations of the Icaros but then also the the intellect learning to capture you know and learn the language you know um and then obviously the practice and the discipline which is like just you know, you receive one melody, one Icaro, then you have to practice it for a period of time. Maybe you only have a couple phrases that you understand in the beginning. Okay, so then you practice that so you really understand it. And so then that became a, a practice for me um, for the last, you know, uh, five years or so. So 
And um, how didactic was that transmission? Was your teacher saying, okay, here's this, this melody, this is good for straightening the spine. Uh, was it, was it that precise? Well, so the melody is not, the melody is the, it's the, um, yeah, so the, the, the Icaros are not prescriptive. Hmm. Um, the melodies are not prescriptive. The, it's the phrases that, that work the medicine in particular ways. So you can use this phrase over here, you know, um, Nichin Yakatana, and you can use it in a one melody or another melody, and it's going to work the same way, you know, to spiral the energy up the spine and and to move it up straight. So, um, well, then how, how are the melodies chosen? So the melodies are not, they're not chosen. They're not like, um, so when you're under the maresion, under the effect of the medicine, um, under the effect of the ayahuasca and the ceremony. Um, so the first I should say, you know, so these things are learned not just through the transmission of teacher to student, but when I say teacher to student, I also mean the plant teacher. And so the, the process of initiation and the process of learning in the Shipibo tradition and, and in many of the Amazonian traditions is through the process of, of the, the diet or the dieta, which is a, a series of, well, first of all, it's an agreement between the essence of the plant or the spirit of the plant and the person who wants to learn. And then it's a, um, a series of restrictions for a period of time um, to restrict oneself from indulgences, most importantly, and, and is almost always the case, is no sex and no sexual release, and then various restrictions with with food, um, which is generally no salt, no spice, um, and uh, and then it can vary in degrees depending on the strength of the plant. Um, you know, even mean, meaning that uh, the person has to go into a period of total isolation from, from contact um, for a period of time. Um, so there's, there's different, um, different levels of restrictions with the diets, um, but the transmissions then are coming through the dreams of the initiate. And so then the, the plant teaches in the waking life, but mostly in the dreams. Um, and then Icaros are received there. So new melodies are received there um, in, in, during the course of the diet. Then they come out. They just flower. They just blossom in the moment when, like, it's not like someone is sitting there going, okay, which Icaro am I going to chant here? It's just... They sit in front of the person and it's just kind of like, and the melody starts to come out. And then, and then the phrasing, the words that come out are relative to what is being seen by the Onaya um, who's sitting in front of the passenger. 
Yeah, thanks. That's probably the clearest mm -hmm. description of uh, how Icaros might work and how to learn them that I've heard. So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I want to shift now to talking about the new album that you've been working on and that will be released, I think, in the fall, right? Uh, in August. In August. August. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the new album's called The Talon, and it begins with the song Now Act Now, where immediately you ask the question, what was my true prayer? And it transitions from reflecting on some of the ideas that you presented on that previous album to what feels to me like a call to action. And even later in the song, you say that it's time to take off the training wheels. And so I'm wondering if you can speak about where you're at in your life when this album started to take shape. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> uh, so whereas true prayer um, was written at a time where I was, I was in training in terms of my spiritual practice. Um, in between the release of this record of True Prayer and, you know, the recording of the newest album, I was put in a position by my teachers to start go to start to go out and to share what I've learned and teach. <clears throat> and um, so that song came through um, for me kind of <clears throat> one night in the middle of the night out of nowhere. And I just happened to record it, happened to be uh, recording um, as it happened. And I was kind of like making fun of myself in the song. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but it was also, you know, this idea that, um, so I, I went to Standing Rock and, um, and I had been contemplating prayer a lot. And there's a lot of prayer that was happening there. But simultaneously, there was a lot of action that was happening there. And um, <clears throat> I was blessed to ask to, I was blessed to be asked to uh, perform at this benefit um, for Standing Rock uh, in LA a couple of years ago now, or maybe it was about a year and a half ago. Um, I got to share the stage with TV on the radio and Sandra Banhart and Fiona Apple and Moses Sumney and all these people. And, um, and I got to open the whole 
um, show, and Nako was there as well. And um, <clears throat> so I wanted to figure out what I was going to, it was a big responsibility, and I wanted to figure out what I was going to to, to play. Um, and what had come through was a portion of that first track at that time, where I say, you know, what are we going to do um, to follow the prayer through? How are we going to follow through to make the prayer true? Um, mm. So, uh, you know, and what do we do? So, you know, we we pray, and prayer is like this conversation that we're opening up with the divine. Um, <clears throat> and it's, to me, the way that I talk about prayer is, first of all, prayer is natural. Like, you look to the other beings in nature and what they're doing instinctually is their prayer. You know, the, the hummingbird and the nectar and the bee and, you know, everything, the ground squirrel in the desert and the rattlesnake and the cacti and the rain and <clears throat> the earthquake. This is all prayer. And the prayer of the human being, you know, the the thing is, is that we have um, this this uh, ability in our consciousness to, you know, use our thought to create collectively our reality. And so, a lot of times, we are um, unconsciously praying, and instead of um, visualizing the outcome that we wish to see, we visualize with worry and fear and doubt, and then we receive that back in the field. And um, so I talk about prayer as like a visualization of the outcome that we wish to see, and then and then visualizing every detail of it and holding the vibration. And then from that place, the first word spoken is an action that's taken. And then the first move that's made, that's the action toward the realization and the grounding and the manifestation of that prayer. So how we take each step. And so um, originally I was going to call the record Now Act Now. And um, uh, but then the, the title, The Talent, came through later on. Um, but yeah, so this is, it's a call to action. It's like, okay, so we, we, we can pray and there's a lot of beautiful prayer circles that are happening, but how do we act upon the prayer? Um, so it's a reminder for myself as all my songs are, because as I said, you know, it's, it's the channel that is coming through. So first of all, I have to like integrate it and be it myself, you know, for, for me to be in integrity, to be able to you know, share this music with others. So, so that came through for me, you know, take off the training wheels, you know, and now take action, you know, go do it. So mm -hmm. that's what And that, that really comes across in the song. It doesn't feel like you're preaching to the people listening, but that you're speaking to yourself and, and kind of in a self-deferential way. Like, you know, I think in the song you go through uh, most of the titles of the songs off true prayer and kind of weave that in there. And it's like, okay, buddy, that was pretty idealistic and that's a beautiful vision, but now what are you going to do about it? And I, I really love that. I love that you started the album like that. I just, uh, 
my heart burst open and I was like, wow. Um, it feels like a real a maturation or something, or it's showing your growth as a person who's walking this path, um, who's still growing as a person. And I love that you're, you're presenting that on this album. Now, um, one of the things about the album that was quite striking to me is that sonically, it feels like a quite a big departure from True Prayer, which I think you could probably categorize as psych folk and people would uh, have an idea of what that sounds like. But on the Talon, you're using a lot of sounds and vocal effects that I would normally associate with um, contemporary pop music or maybe more experimental pop music like Björk. And I'm wondering what inspired this change in direction, uh, at least aesthetically, if not the content. Yeah, so <clears throat> a couple of things. So for the last couple of years, um, I've been listening to a lot of like three Michael Jackson songs. I've been listening to <laughs> Heal the World. I've been listening to Man in the Mirror. And I've been listening to Earth Song. And um, I've just I just been like so into the production on those songs and just like how impactful they are, but also how simple it is. And then um, I'd also been, you know, like revisiting a lot of Bjork. So that influence is there for sure. And just, um, just also kind of studying um, just to kind of see like what what's going on out there in the world of like music that's reaching people right now. I also there's like a one contemporary kind of like indie pop artist that I really like and that's her name's Kimbra and yeah. um, <clears throat> and I just I really like the the qualities. Um, and the textures that come through in the uh, music that she makes. Um, so, so when I started working on the record, um, I started working with a, you know, a producer that um, he normally, you know, he, he creates music that's very different from how I create it. And um, I just, I went in um, <clears throat> the first song that we did together with um, Unconditional Smile. It's in the middle of the record and it's like the one that's like probably the biggest departure from anything that I've done. And that one was just really scary for me. Um, and it's really different than how the song sounds at its core. Uh, but I was excited about the exploration of what could happen with collaboration, the things that we could create that I wouldn't be able to create if I had decided to just do another like psych folk record. I also intentionally, like I didn't want to limit myself to this genre of psych folk. Will I go back to it at some point? Probably like I'll probably do another, you know, record that I record myself a hundred percent and like explore, you know, 
it more stripped down acoustic. I'll probably do different kinds of things, but um, <clears throat> it was just, um, it was really about this whole process was about kind of uh, getting out of my own comfort zone and daring myself to try some other things and, and also to um, create uh, some um, <clears throat> sounds that uh, I was hearing in my head, you know, because I hear a lot of synths in my head, you know, and, um, and the great thing about working with Ashley was I could just kind of go like, you know, and just like beatbox like sounds to him and he'd just be like, I want this to like go like this. And then I would just, he'd be like, okay, just do that, you know? And with my mouth, I would do it and then we would like get it close to it. And then using synths. Yeah. So he was kind of, was he working the synthesizers and all the electronic stuff? Yeah, he was doing like all the programming and he, he played a lot of the instruments, like almost everything. Um, I basically played some of the synth, some of the bass, all the guitar and did, uh, you know, obviously um, most of the singing, uh, except for the parts that Indy, my wife, uh, sings on. Um, and that was it. And then he, he basically did everything else. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned Indy. Um, how long have you guys been together? Uh, I don't know, six or seven years. We're not, neither one of us are very sentimental, so people ask us this question all the time. And we don't know, neither one of us know when the, like, official, you know, first date was or when we decided to say we were a couple or whatever. We never did that. Um, even with our marriage date, um, we we don't remember. <laughs> but uh, we, <laughs> well, I'm sure you, I'm sure you remember the day. I'm sure you remember yeah, the day, uh, maybe not the date, right? Um. I mean, I remember what it was like, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we never had an official marriage, like, uh, uh, an, uh, legal marriage. We were married in the Shatiba tradition. Um, yeah. well, the reason, the so, reason I ask is because, um, you're collaborating together with the music, but you're also traveling around and doing some teaching. I noticed that you guys lead, uh, drum workshops and other things. And um, I think it's really beautiful when couples start to teach together. And I think it's something that's happening now more and more that the time of the kind of lone male guru or teacher, I think that time is over and it's a time for um, people involved in relationships to collaborate and teach together and to model that collaboration to the world. And so I just want to um, praise you for that, for working together and um, just modeling that for people. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about what you guys are doing when you travel around and teach. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, we spend almost a hundred percent of our time together. Um, 
right now um, we're about to have a baby uh, in, also in August on the 18th. Oh, wow. Due date. Giving birth um, to two babies. So, <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So, so right now I'm doing a little bit of traveling separate um, from her. Uh, but yeah, we do, we, we're together a hundred, a hundred percent of the time. Um, when it comes to certain things, like maybe I take more of the lead in some things and comes to other things and the work that we do, she takes the lead in other ways. And, um, it's really balanced. I mean, we also come from, um, the way that we came up in our spiritual practice. I think what you're talking about was, was emphasized by our spiritual teachers and really, uh, you know, um, with, in terms of the, the medicine too, it was like, um, it was like, uh, the way that the elders spoke about it was like, you know, if, if this is going to be done responsibly, it needs to be in balance with, with men and women together, um, or with partners together. And, um, I think that it creates a, um, <clears throat> I think it's necessary and I think that it creates a, a, a safer space for people to, to come and whether that's like learning, um, receiving a Reiki attunement or, or doing some other kind of workshop. Um, I think it's, it's very welcoming for people. I think it's also um, important to see uh, that it can be done because there's so much division between the sexes right now. Mm -hmm. And there's like so many workshops that are like just for women and then like a few that are just for men, um, which I think also have their place. Um, but I think it's also very valuable for people to see, wow, like a, a couple can can work it out. They can work things out. They can make the compromises. They can, you know, both contribute. They can show, you know, that there's, they have their strengths and their weaknesses and be supported in that. And I think that that uh, sets an important example for people. And it, um, we're helpful, you know, we're able to help couples through their process in this way. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think it also models uh, what can happen, like the potential of what can happen when uh, people who are in partnership are both walking their medicine path together and um, supporting each other, but also keeping each other in check and pushing each other in some ways. And like my experience with my wife, all those things that you said, creating a, a space that feels safe and welcoming. But I think when I work with her, it also helps to keep my own ego in check um, because I'm not going up there as just me, the yoga expert, uh, but we're going up there as people who are in partnership. And like you said, there's this dynamic of who's leading when, and that's really beautiful to kind of hand stuff off to her when it's something that um, she's called to do or something she's really uh, strong with. Um, I just love that. It kind of, it in a way, takes the pressure off me, and it also keeps me in check. It keeps it more, I don't know, natural feeling for me. Like I feel more comfortable when when she's there. I'm able to relax more, and um, 
be less maybe authoritative or something and just kind of relax into it. And it's more of an easy sharing when she's around. For sure. And I think, you know, the thing about um, kind of the rapid commodification of, well, I mean, it seems that way to us, I think in, 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 our generation maybe, but I, I had listened to your Laraji uh, podcast, which was fantastic. And he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't notice that there is any, mm. um, you know, resurgence of spirituality at all, you know, like, but to me, it seems like it's, uh, it's all of a sudden very, very popular. Um, that said, uh, there's so much that, you know, is occurring in the, in the, you know, spiritual community and like workshop culture and festival culture and ceremony culture where people abuse that, um, that space. And there's a lot of dangers that are, um, you know, to look out for um, when it's just one um, not to say that like someone can't um, be single and be in integrity and like lead workshops and ceremonies and so on and so forth. Th- that said, there is a lot that's happening, you know, um, people uh, having um, these experiences where the line is crossed, whether it's sexually or, or something else um, in different kinds of uh workshops and ceremonies and so on and so forth. I think like um, there's a lot of temptations that are natural that occur in those kinds of spaces, especially if someone is like in a seemingly um, powerful position um, where you're like leading something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like having the the partner there just like quells it. It's just like, even without, it's just like, it's not there. It, yeah, it becomes so. a real non-issue. And yeah. pro- probably that helps everyone to relax, which then just makes it easier to transmit whatever you're there to transmit, right? For sure. Yeah, so it's good for everyone, I think. And uh, like you said, at this time, I think it's absolutely essential, whether that's same-sex partnership or, um, you know, opposite genders working together, traditional man and woman. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just people in partnership. Uh, it's beautiful. So uh, you're doing this teaching. I'm wondering if you could share with people how your own spiritual practice has changed over the years since true prayer and what kind of practices are you currently exploring? <clears throat> well, for one, um, you know, I've been traveling for a long time and uh, it is not easy to keep like a physical <laughs> discipline I, for myself, like if I'm on the road all the time um, or to keep like my, you know, whatever the practice is. Um, however, like we've, we've settled here in Joshua Tree, we've been here for like the last four months or so and I've just like right when we got here I just got back into my 
daily practices and my disciplines, both with with diet, but also with my physical practice um, every morning. And that is a game changer. And um, it's just like, if you can meet the day, you know, by waking up and having any practice, but, you know, really like to have some physical practice, whatever it is, um, it, it, it just makes a complete, complete difference. Um, for everything that you have to accomplish before you, um, all of the challenges and <laughs> yeah, like get your get yourself right before you meet the world. Uh, I'm yeah. curious though, what what kind of physical practice are you doing? So it's a so I still do. Um, so there were like these these practices that in the community that um, we were a part of um, that my teacher. Uh, at the time had passed on to me and it's it's a form of kriya yoga um uh but i haven't seen it anywhere else and um the way that it was transmitted to me was that this was um a practice that was performed by the maya i don't know if it's true um but i know that it works for me Mm -hmm. and um I know that I've gone and I've tried to do, I've dabbled in other practices, and I know that if I come back to this series of um, practices, which involves breath work and involves movement, it involves um, meditation, um, it involves stretching, um, and there's a particular sequence. If I do that every day, I'm like centered and and ready. Um, It's just, what is good for me so um but it's hard to describe no i got it it's got those elements that are part of my practice too the breath the movement meditation mindfulness um yeah beautiful it sounds like mayan yoga or something yeah that's the way it was described i don't know if it's true or not to be well, honest. it doesn't matter i we mean i guess some, the, the yeah. truth is that it works for you so yeah yeah Beautiful. Um, and what kind of tips would you offer to people on how they could create a more ceremonial life for themselves? Is the daily movement practice a part of that? Well, I think for me, the, the, the thing, when people ask that question in particular, I say the most important thing is to get yourself oriented. And what I mean by that is to know where you are at all times in the cosmos and and on the earth. And one of the best ways that you can do that is to get yourself in tune with the directions. And one of the best ways to do that is to get yourself in tune with the sun. So obviously the sun is rising in the east. You know, if you're in the northern hemisphere, it's at its solar zenith at high noon. You know, at, at sunset, it's in the west midnight you know it's on the other side in the north um so to connect with the sun at those stellar moments of the day um to have some sun gazing in the morning at at, during high noon to just have some moment of meditation sunset some sun gazing again and then before we prepare ourselves for sleep 
sleep, if that's the time that we go to sleep at night, you know, to always then also to work with the elements before we go to bed. So some, um, some form of incense, whether some form of like sacred smoke, whether that is, you know, working with Palo Santo or Copal or sage or cedar or, or tobacco, um, if, if that's worked with in a sacred way, if that's part of your practice, um, to clear your space, clean your energy, um, and then to meditate upon a candle, recapitulate the day, kind of just reflect on everything that um, had occurred during the day, then to take some water and bless all of your senses and, and you know, open them you know, the crown of the head, the third eye, the eyelids, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the throat, the heart, the palms of the hands. And then to take um, some, maybe a crystal and make a connection with it. Um, to kind of look into, you know, what it is that you need kind of information wise to receive in your dream and have some intention with it and then put that crystal under your uh, pillow as a talisman to try to find in the dream and then um, <clears throat> and then to go into our dreaming world in uh, in a conscious way and in a prepared way so that we know that we're not just you know, going to sleep, but that we are actually just entering another dimension where there's the possibility for, um, you know, encounters with guides and uh, information to be received for our life coming up. And I think that that right there is is ceremonial. Um, and one way to put yourself in ceremony is just to see the ceremony of the day and then also, like I said, to close the day with ceremony, begin the day with ceremony by when you wake up, you know, washing your face and putting on all of the virtues that you'd like to wear for the day. And then meeting the day with, you know, first some kind of practice and then preparing yourself by, again, orienting yourself in the, in the four directions before you leave the house, um, so all of those things, you know, um, that's a simple way. It seems complex maybe, but it's a simple way to um, see your life in a ceremonial way. So the four directions and the four elements, um, important ways to, to orient oneself. Um, then also, you know, one of the tools that I use um, is um, one of the gifts left by the ancestral Maya and still practiced by the living Maya is what's called the Choki or the Sokin. And this is the sacred count or the human calendar, um, which is a 260-day cycle, like a map of dimensional energy with these 20 smaller cycles of 13-day periods, each of which is governed by the energy which is called the Nawal of the first day of that period. And so then that, um, so studying where we are in the cosmos and the qualities of those days can help us to like understand where we are. Another way you can do that is through astrology. So um, 
So that's another, mm-hmm. you know, tool to use. So I, I love that, like mm-hmm. or, orienting yourself in the cosmos. And so simply just by noticing where the sun is in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful and simple. Even something like the water ritual you mentioned, I can see doing that uh, even when you're washing your face before you go to bed, which most people do, is just uh, setting some intention while you do that and just heightening your awareness of what it is you're actually doing and uh, turning like the simple little things of life into ceremony or ritual. It, it it might sound complex when you lay it out like that, but I think it could be really actually quite simple and nothing needs to be too extravagant for it to be meaningful, right? Right, yeah. Some some ritual every day, some yeah. bringing some little element of ritual to, you know, to elevate your awareness um, mm-hmm. and to bring you into communication with, you, you know, the all, the absolute, um, and to remember, uh, you know, that we are that too, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, mm-hmm. again, I listened to the Raji podcast, you know, so like to go as that, right. So have that, that period of time to, um, to make that connection, remember that, and then to go as that, to meet everybody, as the absolute, knowing that they are as well. Mm-hmm. I think an important part of that for me is also doing the ritual at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, disconnected from things like social media. So like turning off the outside world for a little bit and waking up, keeping the outside world out for a while while I orient myself and then opening myself to the larger world and all the kind of noise that that can bring and then making some time before I go to bed to uh, draw my my prana my attention inward and like remember who I am after maybe a long busy day before I I uh, head off to dreamland so uh, yeah for sure well, I think that's some great advice, and I'd love to leave people with that, some practical ways that they can bring uh, ritual and ceremony into their life and meet people as their best self. I think it's beautiful advice, man. And I want to really thank you for uh, lending me all of this time to share so much. It's been really great for me. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, you asking me to do this and uh, happy that I got to share and um, also that you got to listen to the, you know, a preview of the new record too. So thank you. Yeah. And so how can people uh, follow the release of the new record? Well, the most simple way is just to go to santiparo.com. And then there's portals there that go to like the the uh, the pre-order of the record, and um, and pretty soon uh, I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but we're going to be having a uh, a couple of videos released. Um, so, but yeah, that'll all be at santiparo.com, which is s a n t i p a r r o dot com. 
Yeah, and speaking of videos, I'd recommend to anyone to go check out the videos that you made for True Prayer. Um, really beautiful videos. Even I found the Kickstarter video that you produced for that was just uh, gorgeous and really evocative of uh, the album itself once it came out. So great work on that stuff. Oh, thank you. That was my conversation with Santi Paro, the artist formerly known as Alan Sherman, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. So we'll let Santi Paro play us out with a track from his upcoming album, The Talon, called Now Act Now. the 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.